Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Dear Writer. Today, we have another one of our craft episodes, and it's episode number 64. And we are going to be talking about genre today, which is very exciting. Well, I think it'll be quite a large topic. There's quite a lot of interesting things to cover when it comes to talking about genre. Yes. But before we go into that, we decided actually for this episode not to do a normal update like we usually do, but because it's our first episode, our first craft and kind of longer episode of the new year, that we would update our goals instead. So I don't know if people remember us doing this from last year, if we've got some older listeners, (laughs) not actually old listeners, you guys. I mean, it's only as young as as what you feel, right? But (laughs) listeners who have been with us for a longer period of time, (laughs) shall we say, Um, may remember that we did this last year. I think it was a little bit earlier. I think it was probably the the last episode of December that we might have done this last year. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, we do have some goals. So would you like to talk about yours first, Ashley? Sure. I thought I would quickly update the goals I had set in 2021, sort of assess where we are with those back then feels like a really long time ago I went back to try and find the episode where it was to you know revisit them and be like how did I do I was like oh my gosh it feels like so long ago like reading the show notes and everything I was like oh my gosh it's interesting seeing where you were uh, back then been on a journey since then yeah so in 2021 was my goals for 2021 I had short-term and long-term goals I thought I'd just talk about the short-term goals because obviously the long-term ones were like over 10 years and we're only one year (laughs) in so I'm not going to address them and I guess it's safe to say that the long-term goals from last time remain the same Um, but the short-term goals were to get our teen fiction series published and to finish our historical fiction work in progress so I guess to update that We did manage to publish When the Rain Falls this year, which is exciting and was a really big achievement for the both of us. And we're on the way to getting the other two published. They're at different stages. One's closer than the other. Yeah. And on the historical fiction novel, we haven't quite finished that yet. Um, And I did check when we set the goals, we had written a combined total of four chapters. And right now, even though we haven't finished it, we are 29 chapters in and well over 100,000 words now. So I think that's like, that's novel length, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It might not be complete, but it is, it's getting really close to being there. And given the challenges that come with writing this book, I think I'll consider it a win. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where we are. So that's the update. I thought I'd go into my goals for 2022 now. So the first time I've really said 2022 out loud, that was <laughs> <laughs> sounds strange. Yeah, so I'd quite like to be able to get The Price of Pandemonium published. I think that's a doable goal. It's pretty close. Yeah. And not that it's cheating having it as a goal, but I think it's definitely doable. And obviously, I'd like to finish our ancient Greece novel and hopefully get through one round of edits. I feel like that's also possible, but we'll see. So it might be a bit more of a challenge, depending on how Sarah does when baby comes. <laughs> but we shall see. I was then going to say that uh, we got a whole bunch of our When the Rain Falls books printed and are currently in my wardrobe. So I would like to sell all of those. I would feel quite accomplished if I managed to sell all of those. Obviously, I'd like to sell more than that. But as a start, if I can get those 50 or whatever number of copies it is, sold I'd be very happy and finally I would like to hopefully continue to grow our amazing podcast audience we like having you around and hopefully we can get more of you on board so those are my 2022 goals Uh, what are yours Sarah 
So I also decided to do a little bit of a goals update and look at, compare them to last year's. And so my short-term goals were similar to Ashley's, though I did put a time limit on them. (laughs) (laughs) As dangerous as that sounds. Um, I had hoped to set up our company by March. Uh, This ended up being more like May and having when the rainfalls come out by around the mid-year mark. And this ended up being the beginning of December. So um, I did achieve the goals, though not in the time frame I set, <laughs> which is definitely okay because we were very new to the process and we had a lot to learn on the way Yes, for both of those goals. But yeah, we had... I'd also made the goal of finishing our ancient Greece book and we haven't achieved that so far as Ashley said but are well on the way and considering that we were set back in other goals it makes sense that this one's taking a bit longer than expected yeah I did however finish editing my own novel which was another one of my goals which is currently waiting for me to do something with it though I use the term finish editing loosely as I think it probably needs some more beta reading before going any further with it so I'm then confident to take it through the publishing process so you know may need another round of editing after doing that (laughs) endless editing it always feels like that doesn't it definitely but like I feel like it's fairly polished it's just you know whether there's plot holes here or there or that need to be worked on or things like that so just need to find some beta readers if anyone's interested in teen psych thrillers and feel free to (laughs) contact us so 2022 goals i have again made the goal of finish writing the ancient greece book and i've again dangerously kind of put a limit on it hopefully before the baby gets here but if i have want to do that then I'll have to ratchet up my pace a bit (laughs) trying to think I could I could probably make that I think I only have like four or five chapters left well that's what I was thinking I I don't think we have that many to do I feel like it's achievable Mm -hmm. for like April May (laughs) I'm like is it (laughs) is it achievable I don't know but I'll try And then another goal was to edit and publish The Price of Pandemonium. And I haven't put a time limit on that one. I've just kind of left it within the year frame, depending on how things kind of work out. And again, yeah, find beta readers for my teen psych thriller and make final edits based on feedback and continue to learn about and find marketing opportunities for when the rain falls and hopefully get it on consignment at some local independent bookstores here in Calgary. And lastly, continue to develop our Dear Writer community here because I kind of feel like it's slowly becoming like, you know, at first it was just sort of us talking to an audience, but I feel like it's slowly becoming more of a community, uh, especially with the um, author spotlight episodes. It's like we've got our little group that we've had on and it just continues to grow which is exciting it is exciting to add to our I like the word community yeah so <laughs> the community of dare writer join the community <laughs> yes so i guess that brings us to the main discussion of genre and before ashley sort of introduces us to the topic Um, I thought that I might just point out that we're not going to go into specific genres and then tropes in this episode. Um, So if you're looking for that, sorry, that's not what you're going to find here. And although a lot of people want this information about specific genres, and you can find it, it is out there and available, but I feel like If you need to know that stuff, you haven't read your genre as thoroughly as what you should, because the tropes should become apparent to you the more you read the genre. And so if you're feeling like you don't know what the tropes are in your genre, then definitely get a bunch of books out in the genre, start reading, and work out what's commonly 
done and the elements that's always there is my suggestion for that. That's a very good suggestion. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, <laughs> would you like to introduce us to our take on genre, Ashley? Sure. So I thought, like Sarah said, we're not going to cover the specific tropes of different genres. I thought about doing that. And then there's just so many genres. <laughs> and Sarah and I don't write in a whole lot of them. And I thought you could probably find the information yourself, like she said. So I thought we'd more talk about what genre is and the role genre has for writers when we're writing novels and the things you have to think about when you're writing in whatever genre um, that you have chosen. So I thought the most obvious place to start is with a discussion of what exactly genre is. So for writers specifically, because obviously genre can apply to a whole lot of creative fields and things outside creative fields as well. But for writers specifically, genre is mostly a classification system. So it's a classification system of literary works based on content, form, or technique. It's basically a way to label novels to help publishers, booksellers, and readers know the type of book they're about to either assess, publish, or read. Common examples include obvious ones like romance, adventure, thriller, YA, fantasy, sci-fi. And it is a long and ever-expanding list because you start getting into subgenres and it feels like every year there's new subgenres and <laughs> yeah. subgenres that have become a genre. It's quite <laughs> quite a lot to keep up with. Yeah. And you know, broadly speaking, genre gives you a roadmap for different types of stories. So Different genres have different guidelines to follow, as we sort of hinted at in our introduction to this, but rules like manuscript length, character types, the setting, the theme, and even the plot all change depending on the genre of your story. And there, as Ashley said, are also subgenres which more specifically allocate a certain story within an overarching genre. Um, for example, a romance set in the Middle Ages might be classified as a historical romance. So hopefully we all sort of are now on the same page on what genre is. And it was actually quite interesting because I don't know what I had defined genre as in my mind, but I didn't really have a super clear definition. And then when I was, you know, researching this topic, I was like, yeah, it is just like a classification system. It feels like more than that, if that makes sense. But like when you break it down, it kind of is just like a way to put your books in the right category on a shelf. But we will get into that. We will get into that. So we've talked a little bit about what genre is uh, to give you all, get us all on the same page. So I thought we could then have a little bit of a discussion about why genre actually matters for writers in the first place if it's just a classification system why is it important for us to consider genre when we're writing our novels Sarah do you want to go first uh, so the reason why it's important is that genres develop an expectation of a specific type of work and because it categorizes books it means potential readers have a fast and effective way of finding books that are more suited to their taste so how that affects us as writers is we want to fulfill the reader expectations, which means paying attention to known genre conventions, yet writing our book and fulfilling these common conventions in new and interesting ways. And, you know, without a genre, you can't know whether you've hit all the right points in your book. And it's that point where readers walk away feeling like something's missing. You know, they, they feel like the idea and the, premise behind the book isn't maybe fully developed even if it has that substance to it if you don't hit those key points then they're just going to be like hey what was wrong with this book so it becomes important because of that and secondly you know it helps with marketing your book as knowing your genre helps you to not only satisfy your target audience but to learn who your target audience is and how to reach them so the, that's kind of my take on why it's important. How about you, Ashley? Very good point. I have a very similar similar take on it. I was kind of thinking about myself as a reader and 
what I tend to buy. And, you know, I was like, I think I'm, I'm pretty typical. I, I know the books that I like. I know the genres that I like. And when I'm looking for new authors or new books to read, the first thing I do is go to like my top three genres that I know that I'm going to enjoy and look for new books, new authors in those genres specifically. So, you know, I'm a big fan of historical fiction. So I know when I pick up an, a historical fiction novel, there's going to be some sort of factual historical backdrop. There's going to be real historical figures in there. I mean, some sort of story. Uh, who knows what the story is, but there'll be some sort of interesting plot line in there. And I know that it's what it's going to be. So then, you know, I can go and pick that book out for myself. So thinking about me as a reader and now, me as a writer, obviously there must be lots of readers like me. So I need to make sure that the books that we're writing, like Sarah said, um, fulfill those expectations of the readers who are like me. I know not all readers are like me, but I hardly ever, you, you won't find me in a romance section. If I see a book with romance on it, like, you know, this is a romance. More often than not, I won't read it, which sounds kind of bad, but I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like romance. I might just like leave that. I usually only jump genres when um, someone recommends books to me. So, mm -hmm. yes. So I think as a writer, it's really important to be aware of how a lot of readers choose their books and the expectations they have when they do choose them and to be aware of these. Even if you're breaking genre conventions, it's still good to know what they're expecting and the payoff they're expecting from these different genres. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to these genre conventions and these genre tropes that we've talked about and what I just mentioned above. And because there is this, not really a script, but there are these, you know, reoccurring themes that readers in different genres are expecting to come across. Um, obviously, you can see that writers could probably use this to their advantage to help you navigate planning, writing, and editing your novels. So I thought we could talk about, for in our experience, how genre conventions and genre tropes have helped us write our books. Do you want to go first, Sarah? Yeah, so, you know, we do use them. I wouldn't say that we, I mean, I have used them very consciously in the past, especially with my own psych thriller. I set it out as per the story grid's way of writing a novel, which for a thriller, you know, it, it involves very specific things. Like, you you know, you've got to have, a, especially if it's like a murder mystery type one, you've got to have the murder at the start. You've got to have like a hint of what the villain is after. And they say in the story grid that for thrillers, you've got to have a speech in the praise of the villain at about like midpoint through the book and like all these kind of things and a false ending for a thriller that's you know you expect oh it's all finished now and then suddenly the monster jumps up you know and he's not actually dead or whatever so it kind of goes through those and I have used it specifically for that in the past but then I started thinking about how we use it more generally with our other books and so, you know, we mentioned at the start of this episode about genres and subgenres. And though you might not have your exact subgenre pinned down, as we found with writing our young adult fiction, I feel like having an idea of the big umbrella genre is really useful, as it will tell you certain things about the book. And even when talking about our young adult series, as you know, we knew from the beginning it was a young adult book, uh, which is about as broad a genre as <laughs> can be, but pretty, pretty broad. it still has certain conventions and tropes, which whether we consciously or not followed, we did. <laughs> so what we know is that with young adult, that the characters must also be young adult and of a relatable age range. So, you know, these are all very obvious things, but they are things to consider. And often, but not always, the point of view can be first person with young adult. Or even in third person, you know, it allows a higher degree of intimacy into the character's thoughts than what you might see in adult genres. 
um, the inciting event comes early on because you want to capture your young audience's attention right from the start, although that is a trend that is kind of moving into other genres now, which is interesting as people were kind of in the day and age where everyone expects everything right now. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just young adult anymore. And so that kind of follows with my talking shop ones where I've been like, the murder didn't happen soon enough. Yeah, like 50 exactly. pages and where's the murder? I want it now. <laughs> you know, so that kind of started off in young adult books. And we also know that young adult books typically range between about 60 to 100,000 words. And in terms of content, there is usually a romance subplot in the background and the characters go through some sort of learning about self-identity. So those are all elements of young adult and very loose elements, but they're there. And if you don't fulfill those, and it's not quite going to feel like a young adult book. So you can see that already by knowing the overarching genre, we have quite a few things to keep in mind when writing the novel. And then later during the edits, as we cottoned on to the fact that we were in the dystopian subgenre, we were able to bring specific elements further into the to the forefront of the novel. So we heightened the setting and thought more specifically about the backstory that had led to this dystopian world and how that might affect and color the character's thoughts. Uh, we also enhanced and played with the motives of the villain, which made it both more realistic and fit more squarely in the realms of a dystopian teen fiction novel. So that's kind of, you know, and I could tell you about how we've done it with the ancient Greece book as well, but, you know, I think that gives a good example of how we've used it. Um, what do you Does think, it? Ashley? Well, I was going to definitely agree. And how even though you have, you know, with y the YA conventions in mind, we still had to tweak things as well, like tweaking the ages of the characters because you know, suddenly you realize, oh, we started them a little bit too old at the start. Like we need to like specifically give them the ages that we wanted. I think Dylan ended up accidentally being older than we wanted him to be when we went back and looked. So we had to like, oh, he was like, but young, whatever. And yeah. especially the length of the book as well. So Sarah mentioned the common length of YA, YA novels and ours was much too long in its original form to be in that category. And yeah, it's okay to go over, but ours is a few thousand words over, but going like ours was like 30,000 words over, which is too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we had to think about what could we move up parts of it to another book to get it within even though it is at the high end um at least within <laughs> the expected word count for a YA novel you can play um, with it a little bit but usually only established authors especially if you're submitting to agents and publishing houses like they won't look at any young adult that's over that's too much over that because they're like no it's too long unless you're JK Rowling yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and we're not JK Rowling so maybe later in the series you can get away with that a bit more but not at the start not quite yet not quite yet maybe for the third one we'll be past that by by a bit so but that's the third one it's fine by then <laughs> yeah well you've already hooked your readers a bit more so it's not as not as a big a deal <laughs> I was going to say, with our historical fiction novel, we did, I think, make more of a, I think kind of like you did with your um, teen psych thriller, more of a concentrated effort to stick within the conventions of the genre, generally speaking. Not that it's hard to do with historical fiction because, you know, you need to find your historical event and readers are expecting that. So we made sure that we had you know, a factual historical event in a, you know, historical time period that fits in with that genre. We found our real life figures to include and we did a lot of research to make sure the setting as our story is setting of our story is accurate and believable, uh, all of which are quite crucial elements of historical fiction 
And so that was more planned right from the beginning. I feel like with the YA one, we kind of had a loose idea of writing YA and then tightened things up in the edits. Yeah. Which kind of two different ways of doing it, but that I think is more a reflection of us developing as writers and getting a grasp on how to plan stories out a bit more. Yeah. Um, rather than consciously making genre decisions. Yes. But I was going to ask you, how did you find in your psych thriller having, because they've got quite more strict conventions, right? Like they expect like the false ending and things like that. How did you find, you know, writing to that sort of expectation, if that makes any sense? I found it mainly just very helpful because you already knew that you had like a chapter based around this point. You had a chapter based around this point. And then, so then you just need like things in between to link the events together and it helps to develop like a, an actual arch. Although I, you know, I think there is a danger of it becoming too rigidly in, into that formula, but at the same time, it helps you not to kind of stray too far off mm-hmm. you know like it, it fits I would say that my book fits very well in with the likes of the teen psych thrillers that are out there at the moment like you know Karen M. McManus's books and I'm trying to think of um, some of the other examples that have if you if you want more examples and go back to more talking shop episodes I've read a lot of them <laughs> so Sarah does one every month <laughs> not all psych thrillers however you know I do read a lot of that (laughs) so you know like I feel like it really does fit squarely within that so I found it helpful but it could be quite restricting for some people I think doing it in that way which is yeah super curious because obviously some genres are more have higher reader expectations than others yeah yeah And that kind of ends up linking quite well into the next point that we were going to talk about, which we've just said, it's really great having basically a formula to follow when you write your novels. Like Sarah said, talking about her teen psych thriller, but when you have such, for some people, rigid guidelines or whatever you're following in your genre, it can be quite easy to slip into you know, cliche storylines or really overused and tired tropes or character tropes or whatever. So how do we avoid making our novels too cliche when it comes to following uh, genre conventions and tropes? Do you want to go first, Sarah? (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) So there are definitely key elements or tropes, as we've said, and these are required like it's not even some people were like oh you know you don't need them I kind of think it it is required um especially I agree certain (laughs) ones because otherwise you're just gonna annoy your readers because they're like what am I reading is this even the genre or is this something else entirely but they are generally very broad guidelines that set out reader expectations and there is a great deal of flexibility when working within these tropes that mean each novel can be entirely unique but it is easy to fall into traps of doing the same thing over and over because you yourself have seen it so many times before so it's the first thing that pops into your mind and Because of that, I think the key thing is to be present rather than always allowing your mind to take the easy route. So one method I've heard of for avoiding cliches is to just think about turning everything on its head. So for an example, and, you know, this isn't a trope as such, but just as an example of avoiding cliches, say you're writing a scene where your protagonist gets kidnapped and immediately people are going to think of a dark dingy alley some rough looking men leaping out of a nondescript white van maybe (laughs) um, and taking your protagonist unawares but what if you turned it around so instead of a van maybe it's a sports car 
instead of male kidnappers, it's a woman or maybe even a child. Uh, maybe your protagonist approaches their kidnappers rather than being bound and gagged. And so forcing yourself to think about the opposite opens up some fresh options. So that's my kind of tip about <laughs> avoiding cliches. I, say, I, re- I agree with that. I think when you're talking about genre conventions, like you said, there are core features that are required let's be honest like if you don't have a historical fiction book set in a historical setting well it's not historical fiction and your readers are going to be extremely disappointed if you don't have a murder or a crime and a whodunit I also feel like your readers might be a little bit disappointed and it's probably not (laughs) um, a murder mystery or a teenage protagonist in YA like I read YA because I love you know the coming of age stories of teenagers and if I'm not getting any teenagers well it's not YA and you know, that's that. But I think after some of those core requirements, like you said, I feel like it's a lot more, um, it's less restrictive once you kind of get out of those core parts. And I think the key to it is making sure that you have made really realistic characters that your readers can identify with. And once you have that, your characters, you let your characters drive your story um, how they want to. So you don't need to follow the prescribed, some sort of prescribed script and follow all of your genre conventions to the letter. Um, you can include the basics, but then let your characters do the rest um, and guide where your story is going to go. And like Sarah said, if it seems too cliche, there's no harm in brainstorming. We've done this lots um, for our YA series where we come across a certain problem and, you know, we'll both come up with a couple ideas and then we're both kind of like, mm, those are cliche. And then it might take a while, might take a couple of days, but eventually someone will be like, actually, no, how about this one? And you're like, ah, oh, yep, that's it. <laughs> After yeah. a while of going back and forth. So yeah, that's my two cents on that. Okay. So we've sort of talked about up until this point, why genre is important you know it's reader has have expectations and the genre uh, in the genres and if us as writers don't fulfill those expectations our readers are going to be disappointed Uh, but there's also some controversy surrounding genre and that's that some people believe that attaching labels to creative works can be considered pigeonholing. So in other words, forcing novels into set categories forces people to judge work by guidelines that don't necessarily 100% fit the text. Because obviously genres, you can have your book span multiple genres. So if you're starting to box them into very tight you know, uh, genres, then perhaps you're not judging the work as fairly as we should so do we think that classifying novels by genre is controversial what do you reckon Sarah (laughs) well to the people who do think it's controversial and get really really wound up about it I am probably going to really get on their nerves by saying (laughs) I feel like you need to get your head around this because it's always going to happen people That's how people process things is they like to put things into boxes so they can understand them. And if yours doesn't fit in the box and doesn't fit the expectations, then they may not be happy with it. And that's just a fact of life that you are going to have to accept (laughs) right or wrong, whether readers are right or wrong to do this. You know, you might say, yeah, this is the whole issue with the entire world is that it likes to put people into boxes and all of that as well. But unfortunately that is a little bit of the way the human mind works uh, is categorizing things but I can see why you get might get frustrated by it because we just want to write our story and why does it matter if it fits perfectly within a category that some random person has come up with but as I sort of said at the beginning of this podcast By settling on a genre, it allows you to reach the right audience. And so as a reader, it would be an absolutely horrific chore to find a book if there were no genres, especially with the rise of the internet. I agree. (laughs) You would be surfing the web for hours trying to find something that you like that's, 
there's just so much out there that without genres as a reader, it would be like insanely difficult to find anything. So I think they're definitely necessary. And the good thing is though, is if your book is cross-genre, you can market to both audiences by including it in both genre categories. Um, you know, though you might find your book leans more heavily into one genre and therefore those readers will enjoy it more as it fulfills the expectations better. That's totally okay. You know, as we said before, not everyone's gonna like your book and categorizing genres is never going to be perfect. So that's what I think about that. (laughs) How about you, Ashley? Well, no, I agree. I think you have to always remember if you're writing for an audience, you're writing for people to find your book and to enjoy it and to hopefully buy it. And having your book having genres is a really great marketing tool. It's what readers are looking for. So I think it's difficult to ignore the role of genre in, you know, how readers choose their books. And, you know, you might not like it, but it's how I choose books myself. I go to a bookstore. I immediately go to the genres that I like. I go to the library. I immediately go to the genres that I like. And like Sarah said, if there if there aren't genres, I know sometimes some libraries do it like, yeah. just alphabetically, and you're like, oh my gosh, because <laughs> some do it by genre and some don't. I think our libraries do it alphabetically, and it is hard because you're like, I don't even know where to start. Like, unless you know what author that you're going for, then exactly. you're just like, how do I find even what shoot. I want? <laughs> Is like rows upon rows, and that's why people end up in the library for hours, not because they want to be in the library for hours. No, it's because it's so <laughs> hard to find what you find want. what they want. <laughs> Libraries I, take um, note. <laughs> I always have to do pre-research before I go to the library. I'll like look at my <laughs> genres, find the authors, and I'm like, okay, so these are like kind of the ones that I like. But sometimes they have the helpful, you know, the helpful little pictures on the spine where like the mysteries, like the the little like magnifying glass um, or like they've got a fancy and it's got a little castle on the spine that they've stuck <laughs> on. I think the Tauranga libraries do that. Right, right. Which is helpful, but it's still like in a massive alphabetical section. Even just, I like it when they've split it, you know, they've got the romance over there. You've They've got the like thriller slash crime here and then... I you find know, non- that's helpful at least. Nonfiction, you never have this issue because they use, you know, the Dewey Decimal System or whatever. And then you're like, okay, so this category of books is all within like this section. So you go to a book and it'll tell you all the books on sewing or whatever it is that you want. And it's not the same, at least at our <laughs> libraries with fiction. It's just rows upon rows of alphabetically categorized (laughs) and it's painful anyway sorry (laughs) you go well that was my library point Um, my second point is I do understand the frustration of feeling boxed in by trying to categorize your novel as one genre we had this trouble with our YA series too where you know they have so many different themes and so many like storylines that could fit into multiple different genres and like we had a hard time figuring out exactly what genre it was in the first place you know it's you're kind of like oh it's it's dystopian but it's like it's kind of you know it's got elements of thriller but it's also got elements of like this in it and that in it so it's not just a dystopian novel you know (laughs) how you feel like you're saying (laughs) but once we did pin it down into YA dystopian and kind of settled on that all became clear (laughs) yes it's more than that but it's makes it so much easier to explain to people so I'm now on board with genres at first I was a bit like mostly because we found it so hard to classify our own but now that we've done it you're like okay no this is okay and I think saying that segues really nicely into my next point which is kind of talking about publishing and genres so 
I don't know how many of you have tried to go the traditional publishing slash agents route, but I thought we could have a little bit of a discussion around the importance of deciding on the genre of your novel before you start querying agents and publishers. Did you want to go, Sarah? Sure. So there's a couple of things. Number one, if you know your genre, then it makes it a lot easier to pitch your book in a way that makes sense. As Ashley was kind of alluding to before, it makes it a lot clearer um, as to the points that you're trying to get across. And it helps you to make comparisons to other books currently on the market that are doing well. So you're then able to say, you know, also within this genre is this series and mine is quite similar to this so you may like this Um, and it may do well because this series is currently doing brilliantly on the marketplace so you know take note that this is something that can fit into that I was just going to add and when you query agents and publishers they do ask for specific like comparisons to books that are on the market so it's really helpful and sometimes those comparisons they'll ask for specifically within the last five years or something. So having done your research in genres and reading a lot of your genre also helps from that point. So next, number two, it helps you to match your book with an agent or publisher that might pick it up. So for example, when we were pitching When the Rain Falls, it made very little sense to approach an agent that had specifically said something along the lines of, I enjoy lighthearted romance stories, which feature quirky characters with a well-developed sense of humor. So, <laughs> something along the lines of that. And our genre did not fall into this description. So it would be wasting both their time and ours to approach these agents. And sometimes agents will specifically say, I do not want this particular genre as well. And so knowing your genre helps you go, okay, there's no point in even going down that path, which is really important. And, you know, agents who get stories within that genre are really going to not be pleased. And, you know, if they recognize your name in future submissions, they're going to be like, I hate this person. (laughs) So the last thing you want to do is annoy people (laughs) when you could avoid it just by following very simple instructions and having a good handle on your genre. Yeah. If you don't follow their instructions or their requests, then they're not going to think very highly of you. And Um, often those requests, as Sarah has said, is genre specific. Yeah. Like they'll be like, we do not take YA or I don't want. (laughs) Please do not send me military fiction (laughs) whatever the military fiction is like our book you could almost class it as military fiction however it's not a very keen genre in the space of agents or publishers so no if you're doing military fiction you may want to think about (laughs) (laughs) self-publishing anyways what do you think Ashley well I was thinking kind of from more of a overall perspective when you're querying because even in your like you have to write the summary and you have to write your query letter and if you aren't able to clearly articulate what your book is about and usually that does have some uh, reliance on the genre then the agents and the publishers are going to have no idea what your novel's really about and they and they are in the publishing business and when they publish books they publish them into genres so you need to have a clear idea on your genre so you can give a clear representation of what your book is so that they know what you're trying to sell them and I think that's probably one of the main things to have in mind if you can't tell them exactly what your book is about they're going to have a hard time understanding what you're trying to sell to them in the first place so I think that's what I'd say and on that point I just wanted to add that the the other thing that is I think what makes it easier to pitch your book when you have a genre is that by leaning a bit more on the genre you can get the tone and the idea of the book across 
a lot more quickly in a lot fewer words than if you weren't to have the genre. Um, so I think that's kind of one of the key things about genres is it allows you to do Definitely. that concisely because agents, they don't want to be reading through like pages and pages and it, that's just a query letter. They want to be able to know like from a glance, from the first sentence, what is this book about? Why should I care about it? And being able to say the genre and give that tone and everything that comes with that genre into it, it says all of what you could say quite quickly. So yes, yeah, I was going to say instead of a um, uh, agent or whoever reading like a couple paragraphs and at the end of those couple paragraphs being like, okay, so I think this is fantasy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can. They'll know within the first sentence. You know, this book is a epic fantasy story set in blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, okay, it's fantasy. Got it. Yeah. So that's where it comes in particular use, I think. Definitely, definitely helpful. And we found that too. Now that we can attribute our book to a specific genre, it makes life so much easier. Definitely. And... I guess the final point I thought we'd talk about, which is on a similar vein to publishing, but I thought we'd slightly go sideways a little bit and talk about self-publishing. So self-publishing has enabled so many more novels with more diverse genres and genre uh, cross-genre stories to enter the marketplace. So I was just thought we could have a very brief discussion about what we see what do we see as the role of genre in self-publishing because it's I think it's changing a little bit with all the self-published books that are coming out what do you reckon Sarah I think it is changing but also not (laughs) (laughs) which I know that's like totally contradictory the I think it allows greater flexibility and an opportunity to reach a wider audience, especially if you write more cross-genre. The reason I say it's also not is because that I feel it doesn't change the fact that the book has a genre that it's most suited to. And even though you might mark it in a range of categories, it still is primarily like this genre, right? Um, And even big publishers will use that to their advantage on Amazon. Like you'll see all the big titles like listed across like multiple genres, which is fine. And you know, you as a self-publisher should be doing this as well. Um, You know, don't simply settle for the two genres that you're allowed when you set up your book in KDP, because not only do these not actually match what is put in the marketplace so you actually have no idea when you set it up on KDP and you're like hey like I had only children's fiction and adult fiction to choose from so I'm like children's fiction death and dying or something (laughs) like you know you've got very limited opportunities with what they have in KDP and then you have no idea what that's going to translate to when it goes into the store which I mean, that's a bit of an issue with Amazon. <laughs> but you can actually email Amazon with as many categories as you like, basically. Um, though you do have to do this for every, like they give you, um, there's a specific link that you need to follow and it gives you like a specific layout and you have to do it for every Amazon store. So they don't self-populate across all the Amazon stores which, you know, if you went through and did every single Amazon store, you'd probably be there for quite some time because you have to like go into every store physically. Well, not physically, but, you know, like on your computer and go, okay, so here's the young adult section. This branches off into this section, this branches into here. And then you have to give all the cookie trail. Um, what do you, is that the right term? Breadcrumbs. No, not cookie trail. Breadcrumbs. <laughs> wasn't sure I was like is it some sort of like IT term I'm not (laughs) familiar with you have to follow the breadcrumbs through which yeah it's a tech kind of thing if you are unaware of like the different um links that take you to the specific page of the subgenre and you have to list all of these when you send them to update your genre 
So if you were to do that and, you know, it would be hard to do that because a lot of stores are in different languages. So then you'd have to translate everything. (laughs) So my suggestion is to do it for the main stores like Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, like the English speaking stores. And then, you know, just cross your fingers with the others. (laughs) But yeah, so you do need to make sure your books are relevant or you will end up disappointing readers, which will ultimately lead to bad reviews. So that's just one thing to think about. Um, But this, you know, gives you a greater chance to become a bestseller in a single category. And it also means that you get wider exposure to your book. So I highly recommend doing that and using the Amazon categories or genres in that way. So, sorry, that was a lengthy response to that one just on the self-publishing of how to (laughs) yeah how about you Ashley uh I was looking at it kind of from more of a holistic outlook and I think self-publishing is really great one because it allows writers to start experiment with different genres and have readers read them because you know with traditional publishing if you're not fitting into the genres that they are publishing right then the chances of you getting picked up and published are quite slim so with self-publishing obviously you're able to start putting books out in genres that aren't aren't popular right now I'm going to say but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not actually popular or that there isn't a market out there for those types of books because you know publishers are only publishing the current trends so maybe you're a trendsetter (laughs) so I think overall traditional publishing has a really important role but in in then we had that issue with our YA book because it's not in a genre that people are publishing right now not super popular and that's just what it is so we chose the self-publishing route and I think that's the best place for this book anyways so that's my two cents on self-publishing and genres yeah I definitely agree that it it makes it easier to get into the marketplace because without that you know yeah you are just limited to the traditional this is what's selling yeah even though there's a huge range of genres out there. And that's, you know, why Amazon and everywhere has so many genres now, because there's an opportunity for new genres to grow out of this. But yeah, definitely. Uh, We should probably wrap up our conversation about genre, unless you had anything else to add, Sarah. Nope. I think that is it. (laughs) All righty. Shall we move on to mistakes of the month then? Sure. Did you want to go first? I can go first. So I, for this mistake of the month, I was just going to talk about our experience with a store called Mighty Ape. Oh, yes. I mean, it was very interesting because, so Ashley, she'd emailed a bunch of stores, a bunch of New Zealand stores to get our book into the the New Zealand stores, um, the paperback. And she'd kind of had been in contact with someone from the store Mighty Ape. Um, And, you know, things were looking like it was going well. And I guess you must have been told to email. Yeah, I was given another email address. I was in in contact with one of their staff members. Like, oh, if you, you know, send your request to like this email address and, you know, so-and-so will get back to you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. So she sent away this email and basically it was to customer service and, you know, we get a response. We'll get back to you in however many days or whatever, like customer service posters do. And then we get the response a few days later, which just the way the email was worded, it just made me laugh because I mean, they didn't want the book, which is fine. Like, I understand that not every store is going to stock it. It's fine. But it was the fact that I feel like they didn't read the email at all. And I was like, well, maybe we don't want to stock it with you anymore anyways. (laughs) It started off, it was like, dear Linderson. And I was like, had you read the email, you would know this is the company name, not a personal name. (laughs) And then... You know, it says, thank you for contacting us, smiley face. And I was like, oh, here's the smiley face before, um, like, I like to compensate 
for bad news with smiley faces. <laughs> and then they proceeded to tell us that they would not stock the book directly from us, which I was like, well, that's not exactly what we were suggesting. So you clearly didn't read the email that told you that it's available on Lightning Source's catalog, which is not directly through us, but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> it's just, dear Linderson. It, it just reminds me of the dear Richard experience. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Mistakes of the month. When you're emailing people professionally, make sure you use their actual name or to whom it may concern if you do not know their actual name. Maybe not, not just smiley face. <laughs> yeah. And just check your use of smiley faces if you do not personally know the person, especially yep. if it's going to be a negative sentence that follows because that's just it comes that's a little bit de- demeaning. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> to use like, a smiley okay, face and then follow with bad news. It's like, I'm going to try and make it lighter and happier before giving you this terrible news. Like, I appreciate the effort. However, it's just not professional. Anyways. Oh, yeah. And then I (laughs) didn't mention the best part about this is that because the company is called Mighty Ape, they have interesting names for their roles. So (laughs) Interesting is one word to describe it. Customer service monkey. I was like, we would have had more luck talking to a monkey. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, ironically, yes, it's like I don't feel as being labeled a customer service monkey would would really make you like feel enabled to do your best work in a in a job. And Ashley's point was very good, where she said, "Oh, she said, you know, how would you word that on your CV? I was a service monkey." <laughs> yeah. But it's like that for all of their job titles. I went through with James because he had an issue with Mighty Ape. And my friend also had an issue with Mighty Ape, not to do with our book, but other other things. So we went through, like James trying to find out who to contact. And he goes on to like the roles of all the people. If you want to have a bit of a laugh, I would recommend going through because there's like the IT gorilla who likes to go surfing and like eat chocolate mousse and you're like what the hell is this tea gorilla i was like if you have an issue then you should just email them and ask to speak to their uh circus <laughs> master <laughs> it's, it's just amazing like hilarious but in a bad way <laughs> yeah yeah like there's there's clever and then there's a bit too far <laughs> it's yeah, it's in the too far category for me, anyway. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what was your mistake of the month? Since I've shared a different person's <laughs> mistake of the month, but anyways. <laughs> um, so mine's just a random sentence from one of my like note pages from last time's Talking Shop uh, podcast. I ended up deleting this and not talking about it, mostly because it made me laugh too much and I couldn't get past it. And I was like, anyways. So what I had written was, the authors say that fiction appeals to readers due to a deep desire to see lighthouses. I was like, okay, what? Um, It was meant to be righteousness. Righteousness, lighthouses. (laughs) I don't understand. I guess it must have been an autocorrect or something. It must have been an autocorrect, but I must have spelled righteousness really, really wrong. And they <laughs> yes. were like, but then I was like, why lighthouses? I don't- it reminds me of the, so when we started doing, we don't, we no longer do the transcripts for Dare Writer. We do an episode summary now, if you would like to go to the, the blog and check them out. However, we used to uh, do transcripts and they were never very correct and they required a lot of editing. <laughs> and the things that the computer would come up with was <laughs> mind-blowing. So funny. Had some good laughs over those. Yeah. So there's mine. Obviously, we all read fiction because we really want to see lighthouses. Definitely. Lighthouses is where it's at. <laughs> yep. You didn't know you wanted to see lighthouses, but you do. Yep. Okay. Um, with all that said, 
So there are some spots on our author spotlight section. So if you would like to apply to that, then you can head on to lindersoncreations.com. And if you hover your mouse over the podcast tab, it'll give you a drop down menu to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's one of our culture and creativity episodes, and we're going to talk about self-doubt and imposter syndrome amongst writers, which should be a very interesting conversation, I think. Yes. And if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Lindison Creations. If you enjoy the show, then please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts We'll subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, tell your friends about us, and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone.